0: The No make me show Yeah, uh-huh moments momentarily for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs stay fed. Deep state, faith fed, everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion in this to We live in time to build a new system. Unionize labor rights, highlight the issue. Talking heads left is best. The saga continues. The No Meeky Show.
1: Well, hello. Welcome to the Nomiki Show. I am Nomiki Konst and we need to be very concerned, extremely concerned about this move to oust Liz Cheney from House leadership, right? Okay, but not for the reason you probably think. If the Republicans want to embrace Donald Trump's election fantasies and then try to make his falsehoods, falsehoods true with restrictive election laws, which took over the country today, buried in the headlines, I say, let them try. We can actually win that fight, Mm, possibly. But there is something deeper going on here. And as progressives, it should worry us. The Trump Republican Party has a political strategy that is coming straight for us. You hear that? And Liz Cheney, she ain't on board, which is part of why they want her gone. And what is this strategy? Hmm this is the strategy from jim banks to kevin mccarthy urgent cementing gop as a working class party those are not my words god forbid that is the title of a memo that an indiana congressman steve banks wrote to kevin mccarthy a few weeks ago jim banks excuse me the same kevin mccarthy who now says that he has had it with liz cheney liz cheney is representative of the old uh, Republican Party, the Ronald Reagan, George Bush, George W. Bush, Dick Cheney Republican Party, the neocon party, the party of military power, free trade and low taxes, the party that made war on terror and, and the war on drugs. Now perhaps that party is dead. And the new Republican Party, the Trump Republican Party, well, they want walls, not just to keep out migrants, but to stop Chinese products too. Trump is a liar a bully and a fascist. But behind Trump's bluster, Jim Banks and other Republicans are trying to build a new coalition of blue-collar voters, not just the white-collar voters, that they argue that Trump even brought over more Hispanic and Black working-class people and that this appeal will outlast Trump himself if Republicans play this right. And when we say blue collar, it's not your traditional Rust Belt blue collar. It's the new generation of blue collar, a diverse blue collar, a little here, a little there, some millennials there, and collectively with the proper amount of gerrymandering and control over legislatures and voter restriction laws, they are able to stay in power. But Liz Cheney and her pedigreed republicanism, they just don't fit in with this this new party anymore. And so she goes. But don't get distracted. Liz Cheney, she ain't our challenge. (laughs) Good riddance. For that matter, Trump alone is not our challenge. Our challenge is that we are in a battle over who represents working people in this country. These new Republicans, they're coming for us, populists on the left, the largest generation in history, owning homes with loans and debt. The neocons and the neoliberals failed our generation and they want a piece of it because they know that the right wing cannot survive if they don't come for us. Plain and simple. They will denounce us as woke. They'll smear us as communists. And Jim Banks in his memo to Kevin McCarthy is clear on what they are doing and why. In writing, he said, quote, President Trump Trump gave the Republican Party a political gift. We are now the party supported by most working class voters. The question is whether Republicans reject that gift or unwrap it and permanently become the party of the working class. In other words, they see Donald Trump as their pathway to, quote, permanently become the party of the working class. This is why Republicans are buying into Trump's election lies. This is why they won't let Liz Cheney, a legacy, stand up for the Constitution or the plain truth, God, I can't believe I'm even saying that, by calling out Trump's election lies, she's undermining their basic strategy of building what they are calling a permanent party of the working class. Now, we all know their claim to represent working class people is absolute crap. And their analysis of, of, of the vote overstates how well they did among blue-collar workers. But if Trump had taught us anything, it is that we can't let facts speak for themselves. And we can't la- we, there's no way we can laugh this off. We actually have to fight it both by showing how wrong their ideas are and by cleaning up our own house, liberating ourselves from all that corporate money. People don't trust it. It's elitist. purging the tech mindset that made exploiting gig gig workers seem okay. That's relevant because the Democratic Party is still tethered to the machines, the tech companies that are profiting and growing off of the right wing, tapping into the working class. We need to rebuild our labor movement and the Democratic Party's alliance of labor and reform labor. And we need to build local and state parties. So we are connected to working people where they live. We have a pipeline of candidates. We have a pipeline of operatives and we have working people running at every level so we can compete with the Koch brothers. Because when you have actual working people running, not some demagogues pretending to be working people like Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump, we have actual working people that connect with their communities, you win. So take that money you're raising Democrats and invest it into building a pipeline if you really care. We've a lot of work to do. The dragon of Trump is not slain; it rises in even greater force now as the symbol of something new and scary and right, a right-wing workers' party. We've heard that before, right? There's a name for that. Another name for it. It's called fascism. And Liz Cheney, good riddance, is just one of their first casualties. So we are all next if we don't stop them now and if anyone anyone and i want to say this very clearly we have to call it anyone who tries to bridge left populists with right wing populists because the right has the power the right is using is using and exploiting people who have their own agendas to bridge these alliances and build their demographics into the future. It's not that they need to win all of the country. They just need to win enough based on the rules that they've fixed through gerrymandering and taking over legislatures over the last 30, 40 years. They just need enough. All right, we have a wonderful show today. Uh, We have the new hosts of the new podcast called This is Revolution, Jason Miles and Pascal Robert. They're going to be here up first, and then later we have Ron Chowdhury, host of the committee program, right here on Mondays at 3 p.m., 6 p.m. here on our show, on our channel. And, uh, of course, Representative Chris Rabb from the 200th District of Pennsylvania, Northwest Philly. We will be right back after this break. All right. Welcome back to the Nomi Show. I am Nomi Konst And... Very excited to have Jason Miles and Pascal Robert, who are the hosts of this is Re- the This Is Revolution podcast. It is a show about politics and music from musicians who sing about politics. Oh my God, how can you do two things at once, guys? Don't you know your space? Don't you know you got to stick to one? <laughs> uh, very excited to have you. Napoleon legend texted me right beforehand. He was like, "Oh, this is gonna be dope. This is gonna be dope." So. I'm thrilled to have you. And uh and you got you got a lot of things on your mind right now, but like let's just start off with uh, what's your podcast? Tell us about it. Jason, let's go with you first. And you could just like jump in, just like just... we're a family. You're all in mute though. So none of you are gonna speak over each other if you're on
0: mute. All right, all right. I'm there right. we go. Jason, can you hear he's me? ready? Yep, you can hear you. Okay. Uh it's so the show started actually as uh, I'm a touring musician when the world was still wide open, uh, traveling all over uh playing crazy ass loud uh punky metal music and it it is of a political nature and while we weren't touring i thought it'd be a good idea to do something like this because at the time i was living in a music rehearsal recording studio warehouse in west oakland so if you're familiar with movies like uh or a movie like sorry to bother you a lot of that was filmed there um and so we have access or I had access to all these different musicians coming in and out. We thought it'd be like fun to do a show, talk about the, what we do musically and, and the political world we live in. Because also across the street uh, is one of the largest homeless encampments in the city of Oakland.
2: Yeah.
0: And also I, I, I've done do some work, uh, not anymore, with, with the show uh, with with the unhoused population. The band thought it was kind of a dumb idea.
1: That's never a good thing. <laughs>
0: well, you know, it left me to my own uh, devices. And then um, through a show I did with uh, Professor Cedric Johnson, um, that led me to do a show with Teray Reed, uh, Adolf Reed's son. And Teray suggested that I meet Pascal. And Pascal and I met and kind of hit it off instantaneously. And we've been doing the show together um, ever since. So it's been it's been it's been a good time. So it's not so much anymore musicians. It's now a musician and a and a writer.
1: Right, right. I was going to say, pivot, pivot to Pascal. So so what do you guys talk about? What's what's the jam?
3: It's you, Pascal. I mean, we talk about politics from a variety of perspectives. We talk about the left. We talk about international affairs. Usually on Tuesday, we have uh, someone comes and talk about domestic politics or uh, or something going on in current affairs. And on Thursday, we do foreign policy. And Friday, we kind of have a, a Saturday. We have an open format. But one of the goals of the show is to kind of bring. A certain kind of a black left analysis to contemporary politics that's not stuck in particular ideology or sectarianism, but analyzes the way in which, you know, race, class, capitalism and all the other things that we realize as a left influence not only black people, but Americans overall, but keeping a very sharp understanding of the way races utilize in terms of neoliberalism, uh, capitalism, and the ruling class, and just try to give a broader analysis that doesn't pigeonhole us into a particular kind of trope or stereotype and limit our politics to a certain framework. That.
1: So I have a question for you. I mean, I I talk about this a lot on the show. How, I talk about it from a, a perspective of a woman, that ecosystems living in, are just not built, this is the, you know, the day that, that that Facebook has said, okay, we're still gonna like, you know, ban Trump. It's like, cool, now deal with all the other issues too. Um, they're not built to have these conversations. Do you feel like it's, it's you have to come up with like new ways of hooking people in to have real hardy conversations about issues that are in our faces that we're dealing, I mean, especially after last year with the, with the protests that over, overwhelmed this country, people are starting to wake up and, mm-hmm if they had access to shows like us, it would be like two seconds, people would wake up even more so.
0: You you hope, um, I mean, I'm, Facebook banned me, actually. Uh, <gasps> they permanently banned me uh, for an article I wrote called Kill the Poor. Uh, definitely not ask yeah, me. Clearly,
1: it's I, I, I'm, yeah.
0: It's a dead Kennedy song, but uh, I am permanently banned from, from Facebook. So that actually kind of has some negative connotations with trying to promote the show. Um, Oh my god! So, and I definitely have my feelings about those (laughs) those platforms. Um,
1: Did they say why? Now I have to know all this.
0: No, no. uh, They just, they just. I tried to log in one day, and I was, I was locked out, and I've been locked out ever since. I happen to have an extra profile from another band (laughs) I was in that I just was able to change the name, but I can't be Jason Miles. I can't really be me because Jason Miles is totally uh excommunicated from the Facebook platform.
1: I mean w- w- this has become such a norm that it, that it's almost we're almost flippant about it, but it has extraordinary consequences. I mean this is
0: Oh I lost I lost memories. I lost definitely yeah. pictures of family members that are no longer here that, that I had and didn't think to to save. Um it, that part is frustrating. It's also frustrating that, you know, from a show standpoint, trying to advertise the show, to grow the yeah. show, to, to get the message out to more people, um, you know, we can't do because traditionally to get the message out, I, I traveled, I toured, right, um, and then I was able to use, you know, kind of uh, Facebook as well. So that definitely...
1: Uh, like, let's put this in perspective. Yeah. We're so, it's like, we've become so numb to this mm-hmm. That we don't even realize, number one, like the and I I will I will beat this to death. If if Facebook, if if, if YouTube politics is like overwhelmingly 90% almost white male, Fox News has more women audience and more women on air. And we flip out of our Fox News, but it's like nothing about YouTube, nothing about Facebook, which is generating this white supremacist male. A narrative that's controlling our conversations. Simultaneously, it would be like, I mean, Facebook today, which I believe should be a public utility, mm-hmm. it'd be like cutting off phone access to somebody for what? I, no justification? No what?
0: It, it really it really was because you forget how large these platforms have gotten, um, especially when it comes to the integration that they have into your life. So you really understand that importance. And, you know, I I work. I, I live in the Bay Area, uh, uh, Oakland, California, and I'd be lying if I said I haven't been in in rooms where you got to sign in non disclosure statements and hear Mark Zuckerberg talk with Peter Thiel. And when you hear those conversations, you definitely oh. understand why certain voices get silenced and why other voices get get platformed. Um, it, it's just kind of part of the plan. I mean, you have a major libertarian lean. When it comes to uh, to big tech and the people that are on the, on these boards, so, and they're getting away
1: with it because they do this oh yeah like, like, dance with oh, the Democrats.
0: Well, let's well let's let's also remember that there was a time ten years ago, uh, and Pascal jump in here if you want, when we loved Steve Jobs maybe fifteen years ago.
3: Mark Zuckerberg was the future,
0: (laughs) right? Facebook was the future. All this technology, Elon Musk was beloved, beloved. And again, these are people that I don't like, Mm -hmm. but let's not forget at one point in time, we were just over the moon for the future of what uh, Facebook was going to do, what Apple was doing. Um, And now all of a sudden we're realizing that these are the villains. Yeah. After we've somewhat empowered them.
1: Pescal,
3: I wait, think the wait. question, the question also becomes: How do you create a left that's not de- dependent on capitalist technology to get its message out? Right. Which is something I think that we have to really become creative in learning how to do. <laughs> we uh, had to figure it out on the fly.
0: <laughs> not me.
1: <laughs> I mean, my response is: Let's have congressional hearings. That's the only thing. I that's the only tool. My my, I, I'm ready to like lobby Ro Khanna and be like, listen, this is this is much bigger than. The, the hearings that they're having right now in capitol hill which are moving at a snail's pace in which finally they're like well we're not going to have the ceos of the companies to feed us we'll have like some other people okay how about you have people who are being exploited on here who have to work i mean i'm very lucky that i have a large enough platform to sustain this for, for our, but it's by no means what it should be, but there are people who have to reach a certain metric to yeah. be verified. And then like after five years, they're verified. And then like they're, they're monetized and they're barely getting any I mean, it's, it's, it's bullshit. It's exploitation. I felt this way on cable news and this is a much worse version of this.
0: I mean, it's definitely, we, we always talk about the uberfication kind of, yeah. of, uh, of media and entertainment. And uh, I don't know if you've been following uh, this platform called Cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is kind of, we were joking about the other day because there was a band that actually used Cameo to make a video for a single. They paid for prominent figures in their genre to yeah. listen to their song. And you know, of course, if you're paying someone money, you're not going to sit there and go, ah, this sucks. Because, you know, in real life, don't listen to your shitty song. Uh, <laughs> So, so they, they made a video of cuts of these of these major figures in, in their genre, listening to their music and, and giving it props, and it's kind of funny because that's where we are right now with this make believe world uh, of the internet.
1: So I want to pivot a little bit because uh, there's some very serious stuff outside of the world of, of 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 media and the exploitation of poor us, but to be fair. Like it is kind of exploitative. I don't want to minimize the fact that there are a lot of people who are are struggling to get uh, the word out for working people on leftist platforms, which we don't have. Very important. Um, But there's some um, shit going down in Africa. And I say that vaguely because uh, the Biden administration has reasserted Africa, African presence uh, as plans for June tw- June's African Lion Twenty One exercise is underway. Can you guys explain what's going on here? What does this mean? Well,
3: basically, Western? this is a continuation of the militarization of the African continent that started with Bush and was continued with Obama in reaction to the presence of China and now Russia on the continent. As we know, Africa is very important for min- mineral and resource development, and what we're seeing is a kind of twenty first century scramble for Africa that is putting the actual life and well-being of nations the 53 nations on the continent in jeopardy so africom which is basically a militarization of the african continent in which the u.s works in cooperation with african leaders to provide military technology and service and training works as a buttress to the chinese developmental presence on the ca- continent but ends up really with you know the larger deal po- geopolitics of china and the united states uh, in the crosshairs, puts the continent in the crosshairs for kind of like a potential military conflagration. And the question becomes, is that what's going to be the, the is Africa going to be the next space for mm. the military imprint like in the early arts the Middle East was?
1: So African Lion is something, it's a military exercise it has been going on for a long time. Can you explain what that is?
3: Well, from what I understand, it's basically an attempt to up to maintain or to make sure the weapons capacities of the United States in partnership with the African countries that participate in AFRICOM stay up to date. They were supposed to have it in in 2020, but they canceled it because of COVID. So Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be a kind of normal kind of process of kind of like weapons-grade maintenance in in terms of uh, what's going on with the United States military footprint. But if you even just look at AFRICOM U.S., China, you will see that Africa is really the new zone of militarization for the U.S. because largely of its competition with China and the need for that those those uh, those uh, mineral resources as well. So the question then becomes: Is that what is the how how destabilized will the African continent be in the wake of these types of uh, war games?
1: So when we say like. Um minerals and resource. This is this is the minerals that, that that make our iPhones. All the technology that we're working off of, these minerals are part of it. And of course, there's a new iteration of it every five seconds, and we have to switch to it because they don't let us have a working phone if we don't do so. Um, but simultaneously, there's still oil, there, there are a few oil rich countries in Africa. Is this, are, are there different like strategic aspects to this? I mean, is there, I mean, Africa is a huge continent, uh, is there one strategy for Libya? Another strategy for Senegal? Is there not? You know what I mean? Like, there's there's all sorts of resources here. I, I imagine it's it's got to be extremely complicated. I mean, Afghanistan was about a pathway to these resources, was it not? and We finally are
3: out. No, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, I I can't act like I have the internal memos of the the Pentagon in terms of how they strategically what? Uh, plan to Say work it on in, here. If that's uh, the case. <laughs> but the larger the larger motivation for my analysis is is not only uh, resource extraction, but really to be a bulwark against the developing role of China on the continent, which has been in existence for maybe over 30, 40 years. China is developmentally working on infrastructure development on, on the African continent that uh, the US definitely sees as a counter hegemonic threat. So, uh, in terms of also one of the one of the arguments used is as a bulwark against terrorism, uh, Islamic terrorism in Muslim countries that's used, but I see this really as more of a geostrategic kind of attempt to compete with China's presence on the continent, largely for resources, but also because of global geopolitics on a larger scale.
1: Um, okay, so so how much is China invested in Africa? I mean, do they have a head start on this? Are we are we late to the game uh, and trying to catch up? Is Russia involved? Because you know that's the jam.
3: I, I think the thing that distinguishes the U.S. relationship with Africa from China is that China has a hands-off policy when it comes to the politics of the governing uh, governance in on the African continent. So that they will give you infrastructure development, they will build roads, they will build bridges, and they won't get involved in human rights issues. They will not involve, get involved in the governance. Of the, African, of the African countries, where the United States likes to play favorites in terms of who the leaders are and make sure that they get allegiances for certain certain things. So in the eyes of certain African countries, the Chinese are a better uh, uh, bar, p- partner in terms of development than the West, the IMF, the World Bank, we have a kind of historically parasitic relationship with the Global South overall. So in the eyes of some countries, China is seen as a better bargaining chip. And to answer your question about Russia, Russia is currently doing uh, relationships with Sudan. As a matter of fact, that's another question we're gonna talk about on our show, is that the growing Russian military footprint on the African continent as well. Mm. So, you know, it's also Turkey with Somalia as well, you know, helping finance, you know, development of mosques and things of that nature as well. So. This is a major, major development we're seeing here.
1: Fascinating. So, so um, China is more transactional, and and the U.S. is more all of the above. But there are no ramif- China doesn't exercise ramifications if you know you don't take our deal. That like we're offering you a deal. Either you take it or you don't. What is what is the old line? Letter or or uh, uh, bread? <laughs> Letter bread. <laughs> Right. No. No. Yeah. I
3: mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to act like China's role is not. Is not. Is ramification free. Right. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure you know there are reports of Chinese, you know, foreclosing on certain financial institutions on the African continent. I'm not trying to create this illusion that China is a wonderful kind of panacea for all of Africa's problems. I'm just trying to say that. The the nature of the relationship is different than the traditional role Western institutions, particularly IMF, World Bank, and colonial powers like France have had with Africa that have been primarily extractive and destabilizing. I mean, recently we celebrated the the birthday of uh, Thomas Sankara, who was a uh, Burkina Faso leader, who was a Marxist communist, who was very popular in the country, that was assassinated by one of his cohorts, uh, as a matter of fact, that some people argue was done at the behest of the French. So this is kind of a normal consequence that seeking development-seeking African countries have to deal with in terms of you know dealing with the the uh, foreign policy exegesis of the West.
1: So, so what does it mean that that, that the Biden administration is is extending uh, these efforts? I mean, it does. Is there a, this is military, but these are economic wars. Um, are they expecting some sort of conflict with China? I mean, it just seems like a very aggressive form of posturing for 2021
3: possibly i mean if you actually look at the reporting in some of the military publications that come out of you know you know like military times and things of that nature they literally talk about the potential military conflict with china in africa i mean there's rhetoric like that is used it's not something that is not outside of the the purview i mean i was talking to a, a friend of mine recently about if you go to the rand corporation they issued a white paper in 2016 on war with China, that's an, an Iran Corporation. You know, is a major you know foreign policy uh, global military think tank. So I don't see this as outside the purview of what the uh, foreign policy specialists of the United States have in store for the future. I mean, that's but this is a subject we're going to be that's about.
1: That's like now. under. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Say- I say,
3: this is what we, we're going to be talking about this in detail with our on our show with uh, Milton Almaty, who was an African specialist, also a, a professor at John Jay uh, College in New York. So we'll be discussing those things uh, this evening,
1: this evening on the show. And it'll be live.
3: Yeah, we, we do. Every Thursday, we do a foreign policy
0: uh, segment and uh, usually the talk generally is either China or or Africa. And today we're going to talk about kind of the 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 scramble for Africa, this potential recolonization. we talked somewhat about the Belt and Road Initiative. I don't know if you ever mm-hmm. talk about that on your show, you know, actually building roads and ports uh, in Africa
4: yeah.
0: uh, where they haven't been before and not having like like Pascal said before, it's it's a lot different dealing with China than it is the U.S. and the IMF, where generally, you know, the, these loans come at a price. So. I don't think the US and most people in the US can see what's going on without seeing it through the lens of US empire. So it's a little more complicated. So we're trying to explain that and expand on the conversations with actual people that that do actually work in think tanks, that do actually work with the military industrial complex. So you can really uh, understand why these things happen Who's really behind it? So it's just a very, very deep dive that we try to take
3: into these. Two our very good, to our very regular guests on Thursdays, uh, Gene Bajlan and Cuba Wazinski are, are both very good. One is the Middle Eastern politics, politics, which is Gene Bajlan. And Cuba is uh, very good in terms of geopolitics overall. So they contribute to our Thursday foreign policy. And again, this is something that we take seriously that as you know, the left commentators, we think that a very nuanced understanding of global affairs is necessary, yeah. not the traditional kind of like X Y Z is good, everyone else is bad kind of myopic kind of Manichaean look. So uh, we try to bring that nuance to the show.
1: Um, before Sometimes we, wrap, we get into arguments. <laughs> that's, that's how it should be. We're on the left, and we have to do it in a very clear and and you know hopefully not problematic way. Um, so Donald Trump. I mean, this is. I, I opened with this like assessment of the Liz Cheney effect in the Trump Trump Party and how there was this memo to Kevin McCarthy about becoming a a, a right wing uh, working class party, which is you know very much uh, tethered to Donald Trump's campaign promises, including taking on China. So how does Donald Trump's China policy affect Biden's uh, Africa policy? today, because you never heard Trump talking about Africa. It's always about well, China.
3: It's, it's, the thing is interesting is that I don't think that Biden is a digression from Trump's China policy mm. at all. I think it's right a continuation. And I would argue that, frankly, that the uh, the the geostrategic conflict with China is a bipartisan consensus. Mm-hmm. I think it's a realization. I mean, as I was watching a program of uh, Paul Jay had yesterday with he was interviewing Mark Blythe, that for the first time China is Europe's number one trading pop partner having displaced the United States in oh. the last year. So that's a big deal. So, you know, I mean, when you're saying that the EU's number one trading partner now is China and not the United States. With the fact in the wake of the instant, we don't want to deal with the U.S. as the hedge. So we're
1: having a little bit of a question. Oh, your
3: Wi-Fi cut out. There we are.
1: There we go. Go back. Keep keep going, Pascal. you going. going. Your keep Wi-Fi
3: going. cut out. Yeah, this you know, right, left, right, left. Democrat. Oh, okay. This uh, <laughs> Republican Democrat every four. Years. Oh wow. Ah, it well, happens. I mean, we got to remember the pivot to China
0: started uh, with Barack Obama. Yeah. And Biden is part of the Obama administration, so mm-hmm. I don't know why we would think it'd be any different under uh, Joe Biden. I don't I don't know why people well, it's think- weird.
1: I mean he he
0: Go ahead I'm sorry.
1: But ba- I mean Obama had this 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 policy that I mean, he he overwhelmingly invested in in I mean he went to APAC he leaned in very hard on his entire Asian relations policies because of what you're yeah. saying and and it was something I mean I think it's that was something Trump tried to very hard push back against but um you know, obviously TPP would was you big say, part of would that too. Would you say he
0: pushed, Would you say he tried to push back against uh, what Obama was doing in the pivot to China, Pascal? Pascal?
3: Uh, I don't. I don't think so at all. You
1: don't think. Uh, I you, don't think you don't think verbally could... he did. I'm not saying he he actually oh. did. I, well, he fought, he was he was against TPP, which is a quintessential uh, aspect of of Obama's Asian policies.
3: Yes, I mean, I think on trade and trade basis, as he was against TPP. But I don't. I also agree that Trump was not really uh, making the expansion of the African footprint as major part of his prerogative, and getting out of all of the geopolitical antagonists of NATO and so on and so forth. Right. But uh, I still think that the 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 the, the antagonism towards China is pretty much a bipartisan consensus, and it's not even though Trump might have heightened that. I don't see Bi- Biden as being a deviation from that politics.
1: You know guys? If we just elected Mitt Romney, we could have really um, gotten ahead of this
3: because
1: <laughs> he was mentioning China uh, and Russia way before anybody else. And and, and uh, Barack Obama thought that Mitt Romney was stuck in the eighties and wanted their policies back. But
0: <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Just, uh, just kidding, guys. <laughs> remember, was Mitt Romney the one? What did he say at that at that dinner function that kind of ended the the campaign for him? where he got caught on a hot mic. Oh
1: yeah, the, 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 uh, the secret wealth. Oh my God, I forgot already. God, you know what so I'm amazing. talking about? Like in 2012, I, I he was caught on a hot mic at a donor party, yeah. I don't think it actually made a difference in his race. I think it just it ended up,
0: yeah.
1: it was just like, yeah, that's who Mitt Romney is, and it was just reinforced. Thank you very and much. And he killed
0: Toys R Us, so there's always that.
1: <laughs> he killed Toys yeah. R Us, uh, he Toys he's R Us. a senator in another state, Like that couldn't happen in the Democratic Party. We couldn't have Governor Mitt Romney, inventor of Obamacare, uh, suddenly be (laughs) the senator from Utah and side note. Anyways, uh, guys. All right. uh, Last last little plug. Where can everybody find you?
0: youtube.com backslash this is revolution podcast we actually our website should be up right now uh, this is revolutionpodcast.com. Woo, look at that um, we'll, we do live streams every tuesday and thursday at 6 p.m pacific standard time and saturday we do an extended show which we call the free show with uh, paul prescott from jacobin uh, green party vice presidential candidate angela walker mm-hmm. and marcus from the left flank bets
1: nice love uh,
0: it And we do that at 12 or at 9 a.m every uh, 9 a.m pacific standard time uh every saturday
1: 9 a.m 12 p.m uh eastern live yep everywhere okay go check it out guys we have it in there and we're going to put it in the um in the information section as well thank you pascal and jason a pleasure come back on anytime anytime you want to talk about anything Join.
0: we're going to hold you to that
1: oh done Make i already talked
0: to napoleon about us two coming on together Yes. Trying to, trying Let's to. do
1: it. Let's do it. Well, Tuesday we didn't have a show, and that was sort of random. Uh, but normally Napoleon's on on Tuesdays, so you heard his music. Did you hear he has our new.
0: Yes. Yes. I, I heard. I heard the song. It's hella dope. We, we we talk. I would say almost daily because I don't sleep. So he lives overseas. So it's, it works. It works.
1: And you, you know Josh. And
0: you know Josh. Josh Con Russell. Yes, of course. Okay. Another, they another, have the player.
1: panel together. See, there we mm-hmm. go. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just continue saying, you know, this person, this person, this person, just catching up. All right, guys, thank you so much. Uh, speaking of overseas, we have a Run Choudhury who's uh, in Berlin right now. I think he's oh. back in Berlin, host of the committee show. You guys should go on the committee show. They talk all international politics all day long. Uh, that's on Mondays on our, on our channel. So we should connect you. Oh, let's but- Run Chowdhury here, and Rep. Rab, also, you should connect with him. He is uh, the most, I believe, the most radical, incredible uh, state lawmaker in this country. He's representing the Northwest District of Pennsylvania, the 200th District uh, House of Representatives in the extremely corrupt uh, House of Representatives in Pennsylvania, but he is the best. You should check him out also. All right, guys, we're gonna switch to the panel. Thank you, Pascal and Jason. Greatly appreciate Thank you. it. Hey guys, we're back. Thanks for waiting. Arun Chowdhury, host of The Committee Program, which airs live on Mondays at 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. here on our channel. Uh, you may have saw his first episode, which blew me away. I was like, I'm watching a documentary. Are you going to do a documentary every single week, Arun? This is amazing.
2: We are We are going to go pretty deep on some stuff. So this week we're going to do a big thing on most Deck. Uh, who you've all heard Bernie say a million times in an amazing Brooklyn accent most of that. Uh, And uh, we're also gonna be talking about a lot of things going on in Latin America, which we'll also touch upon uh, maybe tonight. I don't know, it's got some good stuff. So I hope people will stick around uh, and watch it. And we'll also upload clips from it, which we've been a little negligent for on the YouTube channel, it's been other places because we're trying to build those lists up also, but that's not fair. That's not fair to the YouTube audience, so it's,
1: it's what happens you launch a show it's piece by piece this yes. is how it works you know it is what it is we're not big corporations uh you know people might watch our show and think did did like cnn produce this and you're like no this is what happens when cnn bans leftists and uh big media bands leftists they're brilliant and then they could just do it on their own so anyways all right while we wait for rep rab to connect there's some connection issues uh cuz he's always floating from one from one uh Office to another. I want to discuss Colombia because yeah. shit's, shit's going on down in Colombia right now. Uh, the president, uh, he has been not only targeting working people with his tax. Uh, his tax laws that he's retracted now. There are protests. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. actually
2: retracted. It. Yeah.
1: OK, so can, can you explain it? Because I tried to explain yesterday, but I've I mean, been buried yeah. in like Puerto Rico's issues. And I'm like, oh, ah, oh, another another Latin American country. I, have to like.
2: I mean, a bit. I think, I think the problem is there was a tipping point in this tax protest in which, as in any kind of major protest when the middle class is, when that swing portion of the population gets involved, that's when things get extremely serious. And so the protests got serious and some of the actions taken during the protests, uh, you know, heavily militarized actions have been so repressive that you have seen a continuation, especially in regions like Kali, uh, a continuation, despite the fact that they've taken the law back. And honestly, that is a very destabilizing situation when like the people get what they want and they're still not happy. Is when you're, you know, when you're Louis the Sixteenth and not Louis the Fifteenth, right? There's a difference between those two people. (laughs) Is that Louis Uh, the Fifteenth? What do
1: you mean by that? Like, I I when
2: you lose the kind of faith of the uh, well, two things I will say on the sides of maybe we get, you know, major reforms of some interesting non-neoliberal kind. uh, Yes, more chance of that because middle classes are now joining with working people and joining with more dispossessed parts of, of yeah, the population yeah. together. Uh, but also Colombia, just like the United States, is a place where the police and the military have a very sort of thin line and guess who's been arming them mm. for decades and decades and decades. So guess where is flooded with people who have learned aggressive anti uh People tactics during protests. So, I mean, that's why this is happening, also. And when we're talking about other places, they look to Colombia as a place where you learn how to repress populations. Like this is this is this is where the good stuff is.
1: Let's let's play a clip of um, what they've been up to. There's a, there's a video of how they've been repressing um, with helicopters. Can we play that clip? Yeah. Let's zoom in nice and tight. Supposedly, this is a helicopter that was um, a Black Hawk helicopter, uh, US provided. We don't know when, let's just be very clear, so we don't have lots of situations here. But we don't know enough, we don't know if that Black Hawk helicopter was provided prior to the Biden we'll administration. helicopters
2: out, you know, like, yeah, like, <laughs> they've been, they've yeah. been reporting for a long time.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, for all we know, it could have been provided to, like, speculate uh rep rob um welcome
4: thank you uh, <laughs> rep I, from the
1: 20, 200th district of of yeah go
4: ahead uh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm here in, in northwest philly and um i just got off a, a, a call um around policing issues actually some legislation i'm working on that is is not entirely unrelated to what we're seeing now i also have um a bill i'll be introducing with a colleague um, around demilitarization of of police, municipal police statewide. Um, but I also want to point out if 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 you didn't mention before I jumped on that uh, these these um, military resources are are ironically and deeply problematically named after indigenous groups.
1: Mm. Black Hawk yeah right,
4: right? Um, so many things are are used in the worst and most ironic ways um, and I think and you know, I did a fellowship about 20 years ago, right before 9/11, actually, um, and Bush was in office. And uh, the things that I, I went to five different European nations in 30 days with 18 um, uh, uh, Americans between the ages of 28 and 40. It was the German Marshall German Marshall Fund of the U.S. So we were in Berlin, uh, a run and. Um, Uh, other places. And one of the questions that people asked the most from Europe was, why do you treat indigenous people these ways? It's, it's, it's awful. And it's fascinating how many uh, people bring that up as such a huge um, hypocrisy and kind of original sin. In addition to slavery, they brought that up much more than they talked about slavery and, and civil rights issues. But I just say that to say that, you know, um, imperialism Um, One of the concerns we have about imperialism and empire is when uh, it's validated by a brown face. Mm. Right. And so we were last week, we were talking about uh, the vice president talking about how awful these right wingers are and what they've done without talking about the U.S. complicity in this. And then here you have, you know, the worst types of uh, militarism and the equipment used. And then they're dubbing them with indigenous names um anglicized indigenous names um in in just the most obscene kind of ways and all of these layers are related to systems of oppression that um is why your show and and folks in independent media are so important because this is what corporate media will not discuss Right. right and i remind folks that msnbc uh when before it was you know brought uh acquired by comcast and such it was general electric which is what one of the largest um defense contractors yep. in the world so you can't be surprised if one of your you know so-called you know beloved liberals are talking all these you know great talking points about you know right wingers and be totally silent on other issues that even no from
1: about. and tucker Carlson <clears throat> the fight today so, yes no, you're right. Um, so, but you know, going going just a little bit like more nuanced in this. Um, something something. This, this is a little intense. The last. I mean, I I don't know if it's under the Biden ministry. I don't know what this the, the the impetus is in this. But but things. I, I I'm being a little personal here. My best friend works in. Um, she she works with NGOs, uh, helping out. Um conflict zones, basically. And I talked to her, she lives in Switzerland and I was talking to her right before the show and she knew I'm in Puerto Rico and I've, there There have been massive protests in Puerto Rico um, over the last, you know, just stuff is happening here because of the femicides and, and other things that are going on. And th- two years ago, not even two years ago, the governor, the first governor in history had to step down because of a million things, his response to Maria, racism, sexism, blah, blah, blah. blah, blah, blah all these different things. So. This is all happening here. And then I'm watching what's going on in clock I can't, like, I can't remember. And then she calls me and she goes, I work in this space and she can't keep up. She's like, work with Senegal. She's like, I can't keep up right now. Something is, I don't know if it's COVID or if it's administration change or if it's just simultaneously the red, brown, a lot. I don't, run. I'm looking to you because something in the last two weeks, I don't know if you're into astrology, it's like the moon transitioning, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Someone else can come in and explain that. But- I can't keep up, like, I I mean, I, mean, I, think I, I, I gave some, a, yeah, go ahead.
2: A question of accelerants, put on accelerants, put on accelerants. So you have basically people being bankrupted, you know, <laughs> over you know, the course of 40 years, and then to solve it, being told that they should starve themselves out of the famine, especially in places like uh, Latin America, where there weren't um, a lot of resources to begin with. And in fact, when there has been slight relief in this, Uh, You know, before the pink wave that people expected now, we'll talk about this on the show on Monday. What
1: does that mean? What does
2: that mean? Uh, A a series of left wing elections, you know, coming out in favor of progressives. There was the pink tide, which was in the early 2000s, but that was fueled by there was money. And so Venezuela Brazil, Argentina, places all of a sudden had these anti neoliberal governments because they had the money to pay for programs because the only solution Mm -hmm. to poverty is money that we know that just works perfectly every time that this is the one. Uh, But the situation that we have now, people, COVID has made it worse. It has moved people's expectations to wanting more social democracy, more social services, and no one is delivering it to them. And so in Peru, they are going to turn towards a, Marxist, or they are going to turn towards the daughter of a previous strongman fascist dictator who seems to be much the same herself. Uh, I but mean, how can you,
1: here, with, I mean, in our reaction, like, this is what really drives me crazy. You have these movements, right, and I understand it takes an extraordinary amount of money and resources and organizing and prop, and let's just be very clear, propaganda. And, and, and voter fraud and, and voter suppression and depending on where you are to, in, in alliances to, to basically like propagandize somebody who's a legacy elitist as a working person in comparison to somebody who's actually a working person. But it happens over and over and over. Bolsonaro, Trump, Uh, 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 I mean, like, how is this happening? How does the
2: thinnest veneer of sort of working class, whatever, like give people this authenticity that allows them to rise to the top? I think it's just chutzpah. I think you have to dare.
1: Can can we switch a little bit to um, uh, Podemos in Spain? Because I look to Europe and I've been like, uh, as a, I was so hopeful with Syriza and Tsipras and uh, um, and, 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 the, and this is you know a few years ago, you saw these leftist, uh, a couple of, of, of leftist leader, leaders rise up and take power. And I always looked at Spain and said, well, at least Spain could do it. At least Podemos was able to like, what happened to run And, and Ra- Rep. Rob, I want to hear your response too, because it relates.
2: Look, I mean, the head guy Podemos quit. Uh, And so that's that's a big problem. Pablo Iglesias retired on Tuesday night, uh, a month after stepping down as deputy prime minister. And this puts the entire coalition more than in jeopardy. It ensures that uh, the next government is going to have far right people in it for sure.
1: Why would he do it? What's going on?
2: And it seems totally predictable and preventable. So if you're asking me to give you the analysis beyond that, I can promise to, uh, as Jen Saki would say, I can come back to you with more on that. But like there, but there is not a surface answer. You're like, you just screwed the whole thing, man. It's
1: selfish. I'm sorry. I just, it's like. We don't know what's going here. on. I
2: don't like to judge. Everybody's got a thing. But like there does seem to be a lot at stake. And this does seem to be pretty short-sighted.
4: Yeah. Um, so I don't know the details around this, and so I don't want to speculate. But as an elected official, yeah, um, I <laughs> um, I have my days. Like I, I you know I'm I represent the bluest dot mm-hmm. um, in the Commonwealth of the 203 legislative districts. I have the highest number of registered Democrats. Probably the highest number of self-proclaimed progressives and tree huggers, and the highest voter turnout of any district. So I'm in a bubble, but when I drive a hundred miles through rural Pennsylvania to Harrisburg, which is a small, you know, urban center, um, I am met with, you know, fascists and um, pro-authoritarian. Um, anti-black, anti-urban, anti-immigrant, anti-trans, anti-queer, anti, you know, <clears throat> you name it. And uh, that has a toll, that takes a toll on me. And it takes, you know, a toxic work environments, you know, workplaces take a toll on everyone. The difference is I, I have 63,000 bosses and everything i do is scrutinized it's scrutinized just and and i don't say that's a bad thing because i believe in transparency and accountability i'm a good government a progressive so um you know, all my votes my attendance uh my speeches all of that how much money i spend how much money i raise where it comes from all of that is is out there and then i'm scrutinized on a higher level as a black progressive who is unapologetic about my values in an environment where it is not well appreciated, even among a lot of my Democratic colleagues, and um, depending on um, your professional trajectory, your mental health, the, the your um, uh, your kind of financial net worth, frankly, of your household and your extended family, there are a lot of decisions um, that. There are a lot of factors that weigh on how long you can do the work you're doing, particularly if you feel you're going against the tide and doing so um, alone. I, so I can't speak um, to Iglesias and, and, and what's going on, but it's an issue.
2: But from a ruthless, practical point of view, I do think there should be an exit strategy.
1: Huh? You think? Yeah. You're a politician for this long maybe like maybe for like 5 seconds i mean nothing. The- up
2: yeah. towards we we just we wrap too much it's so easy it's people like me's fault because it's easy Please
1: you're cutting out a run
2: Oh uh, i was saying it's it's we wrap up our campaigns and people's personalities because it's the easiest way and we know it works when when we're getting votes and and then at some point you regret it and you're like it should be about more than that and whether it is you know, Pablo Iglesias or Bernie Sanders or anyone is like, do we want to invest that much in a person's personality and in one person? And the answer is no. They're just no, we don't.
1: But Devil, devil's advocate here, devil's advocate okay. here. Okay, two things here. Uh, the great Larry Cohen, uh, former president of CWA uh, uh, International and and U.S., used to always say, you know, Bernie Sanders needs to invest in the movement as much as his personality. Simultaneously the, the per, bernie sanders we wouldn't have what but inspiration of a movement as i believe is still weak even though you know it, 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 it's another conversation for another time um could be stronger let's just say that was inspired by uh bernie sanders in in an era forget about the fact that like he's a person it's an era where personality-driven politics are basically the only politics that work, given the media sphere, be- given how we raise money. I mean, I- I, I know, it's all
2: of our imagination that that's true.
1: But all three of us know, if we send out an email, we have a person's name in the email that's really popular versus join the movement or like blah, 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 whatever, it, it does so much better. Whether the person's the target, whether the person's the subject, whether the person authored it, like we—it's personality-driven politics. Now, now, simultaneously, Angels let's Advocate say,
2: is what about the contract with America? Oh my that was
1: that was twenty-five years ago.
2: All right. It doesn't
1: all right. relate. Doesn't relate.
2: <laughs> Internet was now, off,
1: <laughs> so, and also different base. Um, yeah, different. Base. Now, now, like, let's put this in perspective with old movement leaders, right? Um, Dorsey, can we take Pablo Iglesias off? Because I don't want to associate him with (laughs) with
2: what's about to happen.
1: So, you know, let's take someone Dorsey's like hello. hello." Let's take someone like um, Oscar Lopez Rivera, as I'm in Puerto Rico. Oscar Lopez Rivera was in prison for 37 years. (laughs) This is a guy who they gave the opportunity to get out. Of prison multiple times, and he was like, "No solidarity with my people, et cetera, et cetera." And 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 he was, I mean, as 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 proud. I think the left uh, was of of Pablo Iglesias and Bernie Sanders and many other forces. Come on, they don't make them like they used to. They don't make them like they used to. The end results. We're stronger with Oscar Lopez Rivera, frankly, in my opinion. I'm just, I'm just gonna like leave it there. I mean, the movement was literally killed off. It wasn't like they were electorally killed off. They were actually killed off. And simultaneously, you have Pablo Iglesias. He's just like, maybe I got a few too many threats. Maybe they followed me around. My let's like take the veneer off of how what it means to be a leftist leader today versus, you know. 25, 30, 40 years ago. They're not imprisoning us except for Lula. I mean, like, we understand what's 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 happening in Brazil, but it's still nothing compared to what our predecessors, some who survived, what they did, what it took to win. And I'm sounding like a Leninist right now, but the reality is...
2: We're going to change you here. For this us. is
1: bullshit. I'm sorry, Pablo Iglesias. Grow up here. You're Spanish, I can say that. You're still machismo, even if you are on the left, like... What is this?
2: It is just another sort of one of these attempts to make a real progressive uh, populism work that's falling apart and kind of taking that na- the wind out of, out of that narrative sails. And that to me, was, it, it does seem to be one of the strongest barricades against nativism, against proto and actual fascism and against white supremacy.
1: But he hasn't built the ecosystem. He hasn't built the next. I mean, there are some great leaders in Spain. I don't. I don't want to. But they don't have like the. They don't have the following. They don't have the email list. They don't, and and frankly, give me a second because if I say this, I know I'm going to regret it. So I have to take a second.
2: Mayor I'm going to
1: say it. Bernie Sanders did not do the same thing.
4: What do you mean he didn't do the same thing? <laughs>
1: there are people yeah, who ended up running for crazy, office man. under bernie sanders there are people who and i love bernie like let me be very clear everybody so you know <laughs> i i love bernie he inspired a lot of people to run like aoc he recruited aoc they're, they're, you are, if you're strongly, you build the pipeline. You don't just build an organization and say run for office and then swoop in once the person has run 400, 000, you know, raised $400,000 and then endorsed them. And then there's a month left of the race and they still get slaughtered by somebody else because it's too... It's a, you have to build a pipeline. The same, the same complaints mm-hmm. we have about the Democratic Party, we are doing on our side. And then when people like Pablo Iglesias or whoever, like, I'm sorry, if we're in a movement, we have to play ball. I don't mean force the vote bullshit. I mean, build a pipeline, no one to stand up, no one to stand down, but don't quit. Don't quit and leave everybody who's put suicide vests on themselves and taken bullets for you hanging. Cause that's what's going on in Spain right now. I look at that and I'm like, you're a weak leader. Everybody's gone out there, stood up for you and you just stepped down because who knows what's going on behind the scenes but it is still nothing, nothing compared to what you built, what you won, and all the people who put online for you. And no one like an Oscar Lopez Rivera or any of these leftist leaders of the last 50 years would have ever done that for their people, ever.
4: So what is the succession plan? And how do we, how do we judge and evaluate what folks do before they surprise us by retiring or becoming a lobbyist or whatever folks, you know, like whatever that is. Howard like, Dean. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, what is... You know, there's a difference between, you know, a, a movement and a moment, and where the mo and people can confuse the two. But when do we start? Like, so I knew as, as soon as I, I won, and you know, you may recall I wasn't supposed to have won, I was not the establishment pick. Um, um, I said, I knew I didn't want to be here forever. And I knew that succession was really important, that I wanted to be succeeded by a bold progressive um, and someone perhaps who didn't even have the level of privilege I had, even as much of an outsider as I was. I was still, you know, uh, upper middle class, Ivy educated, cisgender, hetero black guy, middle-aged. Like, you know, I I can't fake the funk. I I accept all of those sites of privilege and at the same time identify systems of oppression and our role in in dismantling them. But I've always had that mentality that this is not my seat. I occupy Mm. it now for the people but if I'm doing my job, if I'm a good steward, a good public servant, that I'm creating that capacity, that p- pipeline that you talk about. And that's important. But that has to happen long before um, there are uh, rumors of someone, you know, getting old, uh, getting tired. Um, you know, yeah. No, I think we talked about this before. That starts with paid internships and jobs on college
2: campuses and not volunteer positions and not it's an honor to do this. And actually, valuing people's time.
1: Yeah. These, I mean, these are the real substantive conversations I think we need to be having. As some of our leaders who've helped build up this movement, and all of us are sort of flailing. I mean, all of we, the, the three of us, have been in this long enough that I don't think we're necessarily flailing. But there is absolutely an exhaustion that's happening in the movement, and I think a lot of the movement leaders, whether it's due to failure or they don't have a pathway forward, or or retirement or whatever. Um, and the rest of us are just like, okay, now how do we do this? And there are some of us who've been around long enough to say like, whoa, 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 we can't just impulsively do X, Y, Z. And then there's some of us, let's just be really, I mean, from my perspective, there's some of us who are like, oh, not us, let's take advantage of these new stars and tap into them and use them to push forward our agendas because we're humans and power an absolute power. We, we know all the, all the, all the Tammany Hall uh, uh, lessons. So how do we as a movement at this stage where some of our big leaders are retiring or stepping down and, and some that are taking power are really young and don't have the institutional knowledge, how do we make sure that we are on the right path and not being used by some neo version of the neoliberal movement um, as tools?
4: That's a big one. That is a big yeah, one. That is a really great wise. Person. But They're I, I the think we ask. I think a run, It. I mean, you have to build the infrastructure and you have to provide on ramps to meaningful opportunity and access um, that would not um, naturally exist. You have to be intentional about that. And so that's a looking at things from an equity framework too, right? Making sure that you have a range of folks. Um, you know, I, I, I never, you know, pretended Um, To be that aggrieved person uh, who didn't have access to, to opportunities when I was running as an outsider, I was running outside of of the Democratic machine. I was not an outsider in terms of my access to some of the best opportunities and institutions Uh, in the country, that would be, that would make me a politician, right? I didn't, I didn't need to craft that narrative. I say, these are my values. This is my track record. This is my approach to running. This is what I seek to do in office. And I, and I did it, but I, I had, there was not a, an infrastructure for me to jump into in Philadelphia because it's not even a duopoly here. So it's, it's a one party town. And so that means that you have the whole expanse of the of, of the political spectrum within one party. And when I endorsed uh, a, a third party uh, candidate um, as an elected Democratic incumbent, man, they, they read me the riot act. I mean, they wanted to remove me from the party. And I'm like, I'm a black progressive wait, elected official. Why would party? I not support it? Why would I not support another black elected candidate who has great qualifications? Why would I not do that?
1: Wait, wait, wait. They wanted to remove you from the party? How did that actually function?
4: Um, they, they huffed and puffed, but they didn't get around to it. Probably because they knew I could raise a lot of money if they try to kick me out.
1: <laughs> Be careful if you become enemies, Dove, because sometimes the enemies have enough of a... Yeah. A run. Yeah. Everybody, final thoughts. I forgot I have an interview across the street in like 10 minutes. Oh, Oops. Sorry. <laughs> my fault. No, my fault. This is, this is totally my fault. Part of
2: this is a problem with the professionalization of politics. And that there has to be a computer program and a job and everyone should have this and it should all be like that. And so we're not always nimble enough to sort of fight the asymmetrical battle that needs to be fought to win this. And what I mean by that is, you know, like after Bernie, like there is an energy uh, and a unity in the progressive. I don't need to sound too sort of, you know, woo woo about this, but like there's a place where the energy is. And it was with Bernie, it was at Standing Rock, it was in different places, it's not always a person, but you have to be ready for when it hits. And sometimes it's sort of weird and bifurcated and not really sure, and that's right now, and you can't really be up at full strength, but it will coalesce around something. And you can't kind of try to like make it happen you know, it's sort of why it's really hard to be the Justice Democrats, right? Because they have to sort of pick these like unicorn stars who are going to do the thing. But that's like not really an easy thing to predict or to do or to even have any influence on the outcome of. And it's it can kind of become a sort of self-defeating prophecy as much as self-fulfilling prophecy. And so I think knowing when to keep your powder dry and yeah. organize yeah. all the time, and story all the time, and then when that thing happens, ramp up around it. is one of the oldest organizing tricks in the book, but it's hard to balance with like a good, decent work life for all the people who we care about in this movement, which is also sort of an industry.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's ultimately it is. It's like electoralism is not necessarily movement, but movement and electoralism have to go hand in hand. But I think sometimes we, they're actually, I believe they're more divorced than they've ever been, despite the fact that, um, electoralism has been influenced by the trends in movement politics, they're not facilitated out of movement politics. It's not, it's not, I mean, I look at all these new organizations out there that are left and none of them come from labor. How do you, I mean, name one movement that's been successful in the country without labor as, as, as problematic as labor, some labor can be. Um, you know, that's it's just my it's
2: a vital part of the different pockets that click together to get enough of you know, a chain reaction going. You need enough fissionable material.
1: That's right. Run Chadri. When's your show on? What's it called? Uh, Mondays
2: at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We will see you then.
1: It's called what? What's it called? A program with the Chadri. Please come. Where do we find it? Us,
2: uh, on this channel right here on the Keys Channel
1: and we'll be like twitch youtube you And Instagram, Twitch and YouTube, got all and stuff, you gotta promote promote
2: it. It. Come on. oh my god i don't know i don't know i'll i'll get a better spiel i'll get a better spiel so you can
1: like become a subscriber at fans.com you slash- can. And we're making cool
2: things and we're doing stuff we're making original content it's all it's all very very and if you just come on monday i will tell you all about it i promise
1: but seriously it's it's like it's me. Am- i was i mean everybody that messaged me was just like whoa i was like yeah that's what happens when you bring out it's professionals it's it's pretty incredible, and it's only going to get better because that's what happens. Chris Rab, Rep Rab, what's on the what's what can people help out with right now? Like, do you have things that people can call, make calls to your opponents? I don't know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I, I, I suppose I should always be in campaign mode, but I hate that. I, I, you know, I, it was my first term where I was uh, uh, uncontested race. Uh, Woo-hoo. But- so, yeah, I, I got uh, a few more months where I don't have to think about it. But, you know, folks can follow me at uh, Rab for the People um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, so, yeah.
1: Go check it out. All right, guys. It's Thursday. You're amazing. I have to go across the street and interview uh, a yeah. leftist leader in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Here's some shout outs. Uh, all right. What do we have here? We have YouTube and Twitch shout outs. Thank you to everybody on YouTube. Oh, my God. This is a Greek one. But it's not in Greek, so I have to like really read it. Efti Hismani, Efti Pempti. Okay, I understand. Kukla. Thank you. OG. Great. Very sweet. Um, Sansa Carioca says, if I can do this, don't forget the history of Spain. The right is so strong over there. Franco heritage, of course. Podemos did so much to rebuild the left. I know, and that's why I'm really upset. Uh, prairie fire, militant know me. Will you lead through fear or love? Depends on the day. <laughs> Kyler Asato says, can you talk to Rap about the congressional primaries happening in Philly? Ah, oh, just missed him. I'm so sorry, I missed that. Kyler Asato also says, China is taking an infrastructure investment approach with the ramifications being the continent becoming Hong Kong and expanding their labor. Uh, Jeremy S says, have Jason and Pascal on for an entire episode. I agree, that was fantastic. We could have talked forever about many of these issues. All right, everybody who is in the live chats, thank you. Thank you so much. And to all of our moderators on YouTube and Twitch, Thank you for building those algorithms and fighting off the trolls because they're there. We will see you tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern, same time, same place, on Twitch and YouTube and everybody over at Patreon. If you're not a patron, this is the time. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Show. Extra, extra thanks to This Is Revolution podcast. Go check them out. They're in the chat right now. Go check out their show. Go subscribe. Make it work. Let's do this. It is called Solidarity. And with that, stay in Solidarity. We will see you mañana.